Hello there. My name is Alyssa Canova. I hope you have had a wonderful week. We are back with two new movies this week. Well, new to me, um, but in actuality, uh, very old. Um, I started my first week of my final semester of law school this week. Um, it's going all right, but it was definitely um, a nice reprieve to just sit back and watch these movies and take fastidious notes and be extremely judgmental. Um, so our theme this week is birds. And if you know anything about me, you know that I'm I'm pretty terrified of birds. I like to keep my distance from them. Um, they're like our oldest like living species. Like they they're related to dinosaurs. Anyway. <laughs> they fly, they've got <laughs> these weapons on their face and on their feet and hands, or just hands or just feet, I don't know. But anyway, they're terrifying. And that's exactly what um, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds is about. And I have never seen The Birds, um, but obviously it's a classic, so I'm going to tell you all about it. <laughs> it starts in San Francisco. Um, our leading lady is, um, her name is Melanie, Dan Melanie Daniels, played by Tippi Hedren, and she is absolutely so gorgeous. I you know, could not stop staring at her the entire time I watched this movie. She really looks like a, like a blonde Casey Musgraves, but also it was, it was like pretty poor quality because this movie is really old. So I don't know if she actually looks like Casey Musgraves, but she definitely looks that way. Um, and my screen. So anyway, just picture that, right? Um, she's walking through San Francisco and she enters a bird store. Um, and she goes upstairs and she's talking to this older woman that works there. And she, like she says that they're getting a new bird in, but that they're late with it. But this woman is obviously wanting to buy a bird for some reason. Um, and But the woman says she's going to have to train it. Um, but then this, this man comes into the store um, and he asks Melanie for help looking for lovebirds. He wants to buy two birds for his sister who's turning 11. Um, and they have this like weird back and forth because she like clearly doesn't know anything about birds and he's just kind of like messing with her. Um, and like he asks her his name and she tells him, we find out that he is like a lawyer and she, or he knew her because she had been in court because she pulled some sort of prank that resulted in a huge window being smashed. So she's clearly a woman of mystery. She's got an edgy side. Um, I really love her. Um, but she, after this guy leaves, she calls on the, the phone and she asks a guy, um, on the other line, she's trying to track down this man. She gives the license plate number of the guy that she had just met. Um, and then mentions that her dad works there. So she's clearly like a, a rich young woman who is well-connected, um, but who also just likes birds for some reason. Um, so later we see her in an elevator. She's trying to take the lovebirds to um, the guy she met, whose name is Mr. Brenner. Um, and she puts like a note down to Mr. Brenner, but then this guy in the hallway is like, oh, he's gone to Bodega Bay. He's not gonna be back till Monday. And so Melanie drives her beautiful self through the countryside with her caged birds in the passenger seat. And the whole time she's doing this, I really think that like something, I mean, something sinister is afoot, but I really thought that she was trying to like do something to this man. Like she like wants him badly. Like she is going after him and she won't even admit it to herself, but it's like, girl, you're driving out to the country with some birds. Like anyway, so she goes all the way out to Bodega Bay. She parks at a general store. She asks the guy that works there where this guy, Mitchell Brenner, is. And he points her across the bay. And he's like, that's his door. And she's like, but I want to surprise him. And I'm like, she is going to kill this man. No, she literally just wants to surprise him. So she rents a boat. Um, but before she rents a boat, she wants to find out the name of the little girl who the birds are for. So she asks about, um, like, if they know her. And the guy's like, eh, it's Alice or Lois. I'm not sure. But the teacher lives over here, and you can go ask her. So she goes to the teacher's house and is like, I need to know the name of the little Brenner girl. And she's like, oh, Kathy. And she's like, okay, that's way different from Alice or Lois. And then there's some tension because uh, this teacher, her name is Annie. She's like, are you a friend of Mitch's? And they share like a quick, quick cigarette. And she's like, 
oh, like you're from San Francisco. Is that where you met Mitch? I guess that's where everyone meets him. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and she sees that she's like has lovebirds in her passenger seat, and she's like, good luck. Like she knows that this woman is after a guy who presumably might have been her man at some point. Um, so she drives to the dock, and the boat that she rented is there. And this guy like helps her in and cranks up the boat, and then she is off riding her little motorboat aqua- across the bay. Um, and then when she gets to the other side, she just sneaks into the house without asking and leaves the caged birds on an ottoman with a note that says Kathy. And she rips up the other note that she had addressed to Mitchell. And then she leaves and she keeps like looking over her shoulder at this barn next to the house to like make sure no one watches her. But then she finally sees Mitchell come out. Um, but she's already like halfway across the bay in her little, her little motorboat. Um, and he meets her at the dock, but just before she docks, the seagull like swoops down and nips at her head. Um, and like she touches it and like she has blood on her glove and then like she walks up the dock and she's got blood dripping down the side of her face, but she's like unfazed. She's so cool. Um, and Mitchell mentions that she might need a tetanus shot and she's like, I had a booster before I went abroad last May. Um, so they go into this diner and like everyone turns to look at them immediately um they're like okay who's mitch's new you know woman like he is a man about town in this bay i guess um and the bartender comes over and asks if she got hurt in the parking lot um and he's like he's like you can't stay here and (laughs) and he's like someone sued him before uh because they got injured in the parking lot and and mitchell's like she's not gonna sue and he's like okay you're the lawyer Um, And he starts like tending to her wounds and he's like trying to figure out why she came here and she's playing very hard to get and she's like I came to see my friend Annie and he's like oh a small world how do you know her and he's like I'm pretty sure you came up to see me and she's like I loathe you and there's just so much sexual tension and she is just like just denying it (laughs) to his face it's like girl you drove all the way out here but whatever um then Mitchell's mother comes into the diner and she's like looking at them sideways immediately. Um, and then Mitchell invites Melanie to dinner. Um, and then now that she's told Mitchell, she's like staying in town for the weekend with Annie. She goes to Annie's and luckily Annie has a room for rent. Um, and so anyway, she decides to stay with Annie. This is like the messiest situation I've ever heard of in my life. Um, but Melanie shows up to dinner later that night, um, and Kathy is, like, this little girl. She's, like, 11, and she's like, oh, thank you so much for the birds. Um, you know, kids in old movies. Um, but Mrs. Brenner is, like, on the phone, and she's talking to this guy that sold her chicken feed, and she's like, my chickens are not eating, um, and they don't seem sick, so there must be something wrong with this shit-ass feed you sold me. And the guy's like, oh, well, someone else actually said their chickens weren't eating either, but they had, like, a totally different brand of chicken feed. So, like, they're starting to wonder if, you know, something's going around. Like, the chickens aren't eating. This bird just, like, came at Melanie (laughs) in the middle of the ocean. Um, And, like, so during dinner, another cool thing about Melanie is she's just casually playing the piano, like, full songs while she's like having this conversation with Kathy like women do not do that anymore women do not just play the piano the way they used to and I wish they would um but she's talking with Kathy and Kathy is like my brother spends all his time with hoods which I learned pretty quickly must be like some sort of outdated slur for um you know people convicted of crime not even convicted people charged with crimes um and it was pretty funny and uncomfortable um, but Mrs. Brenner is like doing the dishes and, um, they're, you know, chatting about Melanie, obviously. And she's like, if her, like, she knows who she is. And she's like, if her father owns the newspaper, why can't he keep her name out? Because like, apparently Melanie has been frolicking about naked in some fountains in the middle of winter. And apparently everyone knows about it. Um, and so Mitchell like takes Melanie to her car at the end of the night, um, and he's like so do you like to swim and she's like listen I did not swim in a fountain naked I was pushed in fully clothed and the people who printed it were of a competing newspaper so of course they wanted to like smear me um but he's like okay but like what's really going on and she admits that she doesn't know Annie um 
and she's like I had written you another letter prior to the one that I wrote Kathy and it was a mean letter that I wrote to you um, but I tore it up and I didn't give it to you and he's like well why didn't you give it to me and she's playing all kinds of games she gets an attitude and she says she doesn't want to see him again and she drives off but there are like a ton of birds perched on the power lines that we see can y'all hear my dog toy squeaking in the background the mic doesn't look to be like it's picking it up but oh my god it's driving me crazy so melanie gets back to annie's and annie offers her some brandy and they have a chat and we find out that the reason Annie is in Bodega Bay is because she followed Mitchell here after they had broken up. And apparently that the reason that they didn't work out is because Lydia had, or Lydia, who is Mitchell's mom, had never approved of Annie. Um, and that Lydia is just like has issues because she doesn't want to be ab- abandoned by her children now that her husband has died. Um, and Annie is like, I moved out here because I didn't want to lose our friendship. But that's, is that not the most psychotic thing you have ever heard? Anyway, because it didn't seem like they were that close of friends. But uh, Mitch calls on the phone and he invites Melanie to Kathy's birthday party the next day. Um, and then after they get off the phone, they hear this like bang at the door. And when they go open it up, there's a dead seagull right on the doorstep. And... Annie is like, maybe it got lost in the dark. And Melanie's like, but it's a full moon. Um, the next day at the party, um, the kids are like playing some stupid game. And Mitch and Melanie are walking along the beach drinking out of glass glasses. And Melanie's like, I can't drink too much. I'm driving. Um, she has to get back to work on Monday. And he's like, what do you do? And she's like, I have several jobs and Fridays I'm free, but he's like, what do you do? And she basically takes a couple of classes and she's really into birds. She likes to go to bird shops on Fridays. She has a rich girl, you know, socialite type career, which is to say she does not have one. Um, And she said that she's getting a new bird uh, that she wants to teach four letter words to give to her aunt Tessa. Um, So I don't know if that was, out of love or malice but either way um so we get back to the birthday party annie is there i guess because she's the teacher or because she's mitchell's uh, estranged lover i don't know um but birds start like swarming the party like all the kids start screaming and one little girl is just like on the ground getting absolutely pecked at by this crow um and then like they all go inside and eventually they like dissipate Um, but Melanie stays for dinner and then they're all hanging out in the den and then a ton of birds swarm in through the fireplace, like so many birds and so much screaming, but somehow like, it's like this awkward indoor scene where there's somehow like less screaming, even though it's definitely much more terrifying. I don't know. Like the, like the CGI birds, they're just like, they do not stop coming for so long. And then Mitch he like blocks the fireplace with a table and he starts swatting at him with a pillowcase and after a while they're like able to sneak into another room and I guess they eventually leave because like cut shot they're just talking to a cop and they're like yo this keeps happening the birds are going crazy and he's like what do you want me to do <laughs> and it's like fair um so then uh Our girl Lydia, the mom, she goes to see her friend Dan um, and she's like walking through his house and we see like all these teacups that are like dangling from these like hooks on the um, china, but they like smashed, like like halfway smashed through. Um, And then she like walks back to the bedroom and all like the windows are smashed in and it's an absolute wreck. And then she sees him and he's like slouched against the wall with his eyes pecked out. And so she like freaks out and she leaves and she gets in her car and she speeds down the dirt road. But she's driving this really cute like vintage mint green truck, which I thought was really cute. Um, But she like gets back to the house and she pushes Mitch and Melanie aside and she's just like unable to speak. And so like Melanie makes her some tea and brings it to her in bed. And Lydia is like, I'm worried about Kathy at school. Like there's so many windows there. Um, and Melanie is like, do you want me to go get her? And she's like, yeah. So Melanie goes to the school to pick up Kathy 
And she goes inside and she sees like all of them are like singing. And so she like doesn't want to disturb them. Um, So she just like goes outside and she sits down on the bench to have a cigarette. And behind her on the playground, crows like slowly start perching and more and more starts coming. And she keeps like looking back at the door nervously and then, like, she watches a crow fly overhead and sees it land. And then she sees, like, there are a buck ton, like, a ton of crows on this playground and, like, on the surrounding, like, fences and buildings. And so she, like, walks slowly back to the entrance. And inside, she takes Annie aside and she, like, shows her the bird thr- birds, like, right out the window. Um, and so they're freaking out. Like, obviously, they have, the, have to do something. But for some reason, what they decide to do is go outside um so like Annie she like tells the ca- class she's like hey she's trying to keep them call she's like we need to show Miss Daniels here how we do a fire drill so we all are gonna quietly exit and we're either gonna go home or we're gonna go to that hotel down the street where we where you meet if your home is not nearby I guess that was what they did in fire drills what they should have done is more like a tornado drill and just stayed the fuck inside away from windows I, I don't know why they decided to bring all these children outside but they do they bring the kids outside and then they start running and the crows start swarming and they're all screaming and they're all getting pecked and one girl hits the ground and her glasses break and her her like her little friend and melanie they try to like they have to like pick all these crows off of her and then they like carry her to like a nearby car and she's got scratches all down her face and then like eventually they all just disappear again and so fade in we're at like the back at the bar diner thing i say bar diner because it looks like a diner but like there's also a bar and it is stocked and so like i really i don't know i get it's a multi-purpose facility um anyway she's on the phone there and she's explaining what happened but like very matter of factly she's talking to her dad and she's like that i'm telling you the crows they attacked the school children um and she's like i don't know if they're like crows or blackbirds what's the difference and then this old busybody comes up and she's like there certainly is a difference um her thing is she loves birds she hates humans and she's like can't believe that birds would attack humans like this she's just like it's not in their nature um if they wanted to do, do this they would have done this before um and then this irish guy in the corner is slobbering drunk and he's like it's the end of the world and he starts like spitting these bible verses um while like nursing a shot and a glass of beer and uh this other woman spits back a bible verse that's like don't drink in the morning (laughs) and he's like i'd say it's after five it's the end of the world and that was the funniest thing i think i've ever heard um they're all kind of confused they're like what are the birds attacking the children for and melanie is like i assume they did it to kill them (laughs) and then this old woman who loves birds who we find out her name is mrs bundy she says birds have been around for over a hundred million years why would they try to wage war against humans now um and she's also like she doesn't understand like the thing about like the chickens aren't eating and the gulls are being weird and the crows are being weird and she's like but different types of birds don't flock together and if they did we wouldn't have a chance and (laughs) this mom is like sitting in this booth with her two children and she's starting to cry and she's like how are you just standing around debating you're freaking out my kids you're freaking me out if like this shit is actually happening like y'all say it is then the birds could like bust through this window at any moment and we have to do something we have to get to san francisco and (laughs) this guy at the bar is like you can follow me i'm going to san francisco and she's like okay let's go and he's like wait i gotta finish my drink Uh, they finally get ready to leave and he's like I hope y'all figure this thing out and very iconic the thing like this movie has definitely like aged well as far like it's a fun horror movie in the fact that like the people keep making really stupid decisions um but it's also like I don't know this like bar diner scene I found to be really funny really well performed and very just like I don't know like I can see like the way that this has been imitated and like other Armageddon type movies like it was very just like you have the mom freaking out because she has children and like the stakes are high for her and then you have the other people who are just speculating and being dumbasses and I don't know it was really it's really well done in my opinion um 
So eventually Mitch shows up to the diner and, you know, the man has arrived and he's like, we got to do something. And of course everyone agrees now. And so the birds start like attacking outside again. Um, <laughs> they see this gas station get taken out in literally one fell swoop, one fell swoop and gas leaks everywhere. Um, and they're all like yelling and they see this guy outside lighting up a cigarette and all these people are in the window like, oh my God, no, don't do that. You're literally standing in a puddle of gasoline. And, but of course they can't hear, or he can't hear them. So he goes up in flames with like the whole parking lot and the birds are all swarming around outside. Like it is absolute mayhem. And for some reason, this is the point when everyone decides to leave the diner and Melanie goes into the payphone booth and it's just like, it's pandemonium. There's a horse-drawn, like, buggy that's, like, carrying produce, and it goes awry. And eventually, like, Mitch saves her, brings her back into the diner. Um, and it looks to be totally empty, but we see that everyone is just, like, crowding in the hallway by the bathroom to stay away from the windows, which is where they should have stayed originally. I don't know why they left and then went back outside. Um, but the mom is still there with her kids. Like, she's back. Um, and she's crying, and she's like, why are they doing this? And... And she's, like, looking at Melanie, and she's like, this all started when you got here. You're evil. And Melanie's like, oh, shit, am I evil? No, I mean, she didn't say that, but I think that's what her conscience is doing because it does not looking good. Um, so the birds, you know, dissipate again. Um, and Mitch and Melanie are walking home, and they walk past, like, a bunch of crows on the playground and then they pass Annie's house where they see she's like laying dead on the front steps and then they're like oh shit where's Kathy and Kathy is like right inside the window looking out crying and the crows are starting to squawk and then Mitch like covers the body with a jacket and takes the body inside and Melanie and Kathy are hugging and then they walk past the playground again I don't know why why don't they just stay inside they get to the convertible. Mitch puts the, the hood on the the hood on the convertible and they all get in and little Kathy starts like cry screaming, telling them what happened, saying like the crows swarmed and Annie pushed her inside. But then like she couldn't get back up and she died and oh, it was very emotional. Um, but they get back to the their house and Mitch is like boarding up all the windows and then they're back in the den, and even though he's just boarded up all the windows, the fireplace is still open. There is, st- there is a fire going, so the the fireplace is fully open. Like why they were all? That's where they came in before. I don't know why, but they hear this radio announcement, and it like briefly mentions the attack of on the school children by the crows. That says that like one girl was sent to the hospital. And then it says that there was another, there was word of another attack, but the news is rather sketchy. And then just immediately moves on. And they're like, okay, well, that was nothing. So they're all just sitting in the den and like the lovebirds are in the kitchen, the like caged lovebirds from the beginning. They're in the kitchen and Kathy is like, can I bring them into the room? And Lydia's like, bitch, no, you're crazy. And so Mitch goes into the window or into the kitchen and like secures all the window and he checks on the lovebirds and they're, they seem happy. They're so cute and they seem, you know, happy, but he just leaves them there. Cause like not going to mess with that. Um, and as they're all sitting in the den, Kathy suddenly gets like super sick, goes to the bathroom and throws up and she looks like pale and feverish. And suddenly like the sound of the birds gets louder and louder and Mitch puts more wood on the fire. Um, and then there's like, a gull crashes through the window and it's like half in and Mitch like grabs onto it and he sticks his arm out the window trying to pull the sh- like shutters closed, which he had boarded up the windows. So I don't understand how the shutters weren't already closed. <sighs> but I anyway, he sticks his arm out to close the shutters and they're like pecking at his arm and he like, gets all bloody and he, he manages to like close it and he ties it shut with like a phone wire or something. And then he goes to the front door and he pulls like this huge like wardrobe type situation to the front of it and like nails it to the door to keep it closed and then suddenly like all the power goes out and it sounds like the crows are leaving um and then there's like this really cool like pan out shot where there's I don't know I I wrote cinematography low-key iconic here as so to say that like the way that they like showed everyone like looking at the same thing while it like panned out through the people it's just it's very trite now it's very action movie but like the way they did it here was like kind of kind of kind of yummy um but it's dark now they're all sitting in the den the the fire's going and then you know 
Melanie wakes up. She starts to hear like the ominous flapping of the wings and she goes into the kitchen. She sees that the lovebirds are still in their cage and then she takes a flashlight and she shines it up the stairs and starts walking up and then she enters this room and there's a huge hole in the season and in the season there's a huge hole in the ceiling and she immediately gets swarmed by all kinds of birds and she's getting like all scratched up and they're going for her neck and she tries to open the door but she like can't get through because like her body gets like pressed up against it to close it like they're just are at her and she cries out for mitch and she lays down and i thought she was dead um and mitch is like trying to get the door open but her body's in the way and he's like trying to pull her out without letting all the birds into the house and but eventually they're able to get her out and they lay her down on the couch and when she comes to she starts like fighting as if like the birds are still attacking her and then she lays back down and like her eyes are open but lifeless um and mitch is trying to like feed her alcohol for some reason um but she's unresponsive and so Lydia starts like bandaging up her head and Mitch is like trying to like hatch a plan to get her to a hospital and so they slowly open the front door but there is a ton of birds outside all kinds the the chickens the gulls the crows they're all out there on the lawn on the buildings on the fences just fucking everywhere and he starts to like walk through them slowly and they're like was sort of moving out of the way of him like with the exception of like a couple crows and chickens like pecking at him like he's able to get to the garage and he gets the car gets to the car and he turns on the radio and he hears an announcement that like the there have been attacks on bodega bay that the entire town has been cordoned off with roadblocks um but that there have also been attacks in other towns smaller attacks um so he opens up the garage door he starts driving out um and he parks in front of the house And he goes into the house to get Melanie and her head's all bandaged up and she's wearing a fur coat. She looks absolutely bonkers insane. And she's sitting up with this like blank expression on her face. And he starts walking her to the door and she's like, no, no, fuck no. Um, And tries to turn back, but they like keep walking her to the car. And then Kathy's like, can I bring the lovebirds? I haven't harmed anyone. And for some reason, (laughs) Mitch is like, yeah, sure. And so then... We just see them driving away. The birds don't really do anything. They just drive away under these, like, beautiful rays of sunlight coming down through the clouds. And the birds are just still. And that's how it ended. And I was watching it on a pretty sketchy um, provider. And so I wasn't sure if that was the end because I was like, I must have missed something. But no, that is how it ends. And so a lot of mystery. We don't really know what happens. It's like... I can't even imagine that the car was able to get that far because they said there were roadblocks. Like, I I don't even think they would have been able to get out of town. But, like, I don't know. That's kind of probably the most fun thing about this movie is the way that we don't know how it ends. And there are so many scenarios. I don't know. What do you guys think happened? I I feel like those lovebirds are just plotting their revenge. And little Kathy's going to do some stupid shit, like open up their cage in the car and then get her shit wrecked. I don't know. It's really fascinating. I love this movie a lot. I thought it was really good. It was very scary because birds are very scary. Um, But I also really loved that it was led by like a really well fleshed out uh, female lead character who has like a like a a saucy past and a and a and a, you know, a, a mysterious present. I thought she was very cool. And, you know, as I said, so pretty. Um so yeah y'all watch the birds it's a classic for a reason alfred hitchcock you know is revered for a reason um i really like this movie so that's all i gotta say (laughs) the other film that i watched this week i have much more mixed emotions about um it was the crow from 1994 um lead actor in this film is Brandon Lee Um, and as I was perusing the IMDB page halfway through watching this movie I learned that he actually died while filming this movie and I think if I had known that I don't I probably wouldn't have even watched it because that really bums me out Um, but Brandon Lee he was the son of Bruce Lee and he died on the set of this movie when a prop gun malfunctioned and he was engaged to a woman named Eliza Hutton who like was on the crew of the movie and um they were engaged to be married two weeks later and he died on set um 
or he he got shot on set and he died four hours later so huge bummer and this movie like I don't know I don't know why it was released I can't imagine that anyone who like knew Brandon would have taken comfort in seeing this film I feel like it was definitely just something that they released because it was you know too late and you know too much sunk cost not to um I do think it was in poor taste but since I did watch it I will (laughs) tell you what it's about so that you do not have to watch it um online it seemed like this film got like fairly good review fairly good like feedback but I um I don't know I wouldn't say it is of any hype I wouldn't say it deserves any hype um especially considering uh what happened to Brandon while filming but we open up uh with a screen that says October 30th Devil's Night and we see like a really dark city under a red sky with like fires everywhere um it's very like Gotham you know very just like dark and grimy this movie is very like 90s grunge like dark and edgy which is not a genre that I'm particularly fond of like like even like the darkness of like seven like I love that movie but it's still that like 90s like depressing rainy cityscape vibe that I'm just like I can't watch a full movie with it it took me like two days to watch this one so anyway we hear um a voiceover of a girl who will later learn to be one of the main characters and she's saying that when someone dies a crow carries away their soul but sometimes people that have like unfinished business get brought back to make things right they get brought back by the crow the one of the main characters of this movie is a cop played by ernie hudson and he is at the scene of this crime looking out the window Um, There's a woman who's barely alive. She's being tended to by medics that like all the windows are smashed out and he finds like a wedding invitation on a ground on the ground and a wedding dress on a mannequin in the room. And the invitation says like the wedding is tomorrow night, which would be Halloween. And they're like, who gets married on Halloween? And he says no one, which is like this cop has a lot of like dark remarks. Um, I don't know the like the 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 humor that's supposed to break up the tension in this movie kind of doesn't really do it for me um that's enough that's what makes this like extra eerie is the fact that like the setup of this movie is that this couple Brandon Lee and um a character and the character named Shelly um they were engaged and they were going to be married the next night but they were killed by a mob uh the night before their wedding um and so and the fact that Brandon Lee was engaged to be married two weeks after he died is just ugh. it just gets me man it's not cool um but either way we see this little girl she rides up to the house on a skateboard and she's like she's following the girl on the gurney as she gets loaded uh into the ambulance and she's like um and she's like talking to the cop and she's like what's going on and she's like, I know that. That's Shelly. She's a friend who takes care of me. And she's like, you lied about Eric. And it's like, we don't really know what she's talking about at this point. But cut to one year later, um, Sarah's voiceover. She's saying, love brings two people together and nothing can bring them apart. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of like overarching themes of love in this movie. Um, but like she's edgier now. She's got like dark Martins and fishnets and she's got an undercut. She's very cool. Um, and she leaves flowers at um, Shelly and Eric's graves. And a crow is perching on the headstone and starts pecking at it. But she like skateboards away. Later, she like rides up to this like hot dog stand and she sic- sits next to the cop uh, played by Ernie Hudson. And uh, he, like, buys her a hot dog. And we cut to at an arcade. And these dudes bust in. And they start smashing shit up with bats. And then they detonate a bomb. And then they ride off in a red convertible. And back at the gravesite, the crow is, like, sitting on the headstone. But the ground beneath, like, starts to swell. And then a man emerges, um... And he just, like, starts screaming, and it starts raining. And he, like, takes off his shirt, and he is, like, absolutely ripped. Um, but he has, like, gunshot wounds in his chest that have, like, healed over. 
Um, so back at the arcade, the bomb goes off and it's like right across the street from where the cop was having his hot dog. So he's like cop having a hot dog. It's kind of ironic. Um, anyway, so he runs toward the, the explosion and, uh, we're back at the guy who just emerged from the grave. Who's obviously Eric. Eric's last name is Draven. Eric Draven. Um, so he goes into this house, which is the house that he had died in and there's still crime tape in front of it. Um, and there's a, and the crow is with him and he like flashes to a memory of him being hit by a car and then like random memories from like the last Halloween and the group of men that were attacking Shelly. And like, they keep like cutting to these people that like, they have like some sort of, they're like hinting at the fact that they're Satan worshipers, which is like, so eighties. And like this movie came out in 94 and I'm just like, I, I don't know. I it, it feels like proselytizing. Um, so I just, I, I don't get it. Satanists are evil. I don't know. He's like in this room. He's walking around. He's having memories. Um, he gets this cut on his hand, um, but it heals instantly. Um, cut to where these group of salty bastards in a bar. They're the guys that just blew up the arcade. They're like, here's to Devil's Night, my new favorite holiday. And he like swallows a bullet with a shot and he puts a cigarette out on his tongue because that's what dudes who worship the devil do. Um, And they're all like talking shit and they escalate and they all pull guns in each other's faces. And then a waitress brings over a round of shooters and kisses one of the guys. And we later find out that this woman, her name is Darla. She is Sarah's aunt and Sarah's like primary caretaker and she's literally like in cahoots with one of the guys that killed uh her I guess sister-in-law to be so really fucked up back in the crime scene house um Eric is like looking at this creepy old theater mask um on this mirror and he's reminiscing again about like his girlfriend and how much he loved her and he punches the mirror and he puts all this white paint on his face and black lipstick on his lip and he goes to the closet and he opens up this box of his super sexy emo costume and he puts on these tight leather pants and this tight t-shirt that sculpts his biceps and he walks toward the window with this crow perched on his shoulder like I'm sorry just picture that for a minute and try not to laugh okay um like he's got this like long like wet hair he's he's very much giving Keith Ledger's Joker but he like and with that degree of creepiness like he plays this so creepy and like his voice it's so familiar to me and I can't put my finger on it the closest thing I can think to say is that he kind of sounds like Christian Slater so like creepy like I don't know if this is what Brandon Lee was like or if he was just a really amazing actor but either way I mean gone too soon so cut to we're at a pawn shop and this guy the guy who works the pawn shop has this long ass coke nail and a pinky ring and he's given uh one of the guys one of the guys from the gang he's given him some money for this like random jewelry he's giving over he <laughs> like crawling and jumping around like he's spider-man on top of these rooftops splashing through puddles while it's raining while this nine inch nail song plays in the background like come on man um he finds the guy one of the guys who was in the gang the guy who was just at the pawn shop and you know he like approaches him menacingly and they tussle in the mud and they throw each other against the wall and shit and he gets him and he's like i want you to tell me a story about the two people you killed a year ago and he they sexually assaulted his wife um and so there's a lot of reference to that um, and he headbutts him and the guy gets up and tries to throw a knife at him. Um, but Eric literally catches it in like the palms of his hands. Like he catches the blade in the palms of his hands and then he throws it back at him and he like gets him in the shoulder and then he stabs him with the other knife and then cut to we're in like this grunge club and this blonde singer with like lingerie and a back tattoo is singing. Um, and back at the bar, one of the other gang guys tells this guy with glasses, who I will refer to from here on out as glasses, that they threw up, that they threw up, that they blew up the arcade and they asked to see the man, uh, but he's in a meeting. Um, and the man is this guy with, he's like the head honcho and he just has really long, straight hair. He looks like a Volturi from, from, uh, 
Twilight. You know the one. That's exactly what he looks like. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so upstairs we see the man, and he has this naked woman in his bed and another in his shower. And she, the one that was showering, comes to sit by him. And even though she was just showering, she has a remarkable lip liner. Um, and she asks if the girl next to them is asleep. And he's, and they like turn her body over, and she's dead. And he's like, I think we broke her. And so we get the vibe. These people are evil. <laughs> um, but we we cut to back at Sarah, and she skateboards into a bar, and she finds Darla, her aunt, making out with that guy who I guess she doesn't know is responsible for killing her brother. I don't know. Or maybe it's just an open secret. Whatever. And she's like, I guess you won't ho- be home till later, Aunt Darla. And Darla tries to give her money, but she's like, someone already bought me dinner. The police. And Darla's like, mm Um, Back at the pawn shop, the guy is counting the money and he sees a shadow at the door and he yells that they're closed, um, but it's Eric and he like knocks softly at the glass before just like breaking it in. And then he starts quoting the raven and he's like, as I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a rapping, suddenly gently rapping, rapping on my chamber door. You know the one. Anyway, and he comes in and he's like, you heard me rapping, right? And... Here is, not to sound like Mrs. Bundy, but crows and ravens are not the same thing. They're different birds. I had to look it up, but they are different birds. So I don't know why he insisted on quoting the raven. And also, his name is Eric Draven. Like, why would they call this movie The Crow? They could have called it The Raven. Though, I guess there is already a significant body of work titled The Raven. Anyway, they just, but anyway, after he quotes the raven, um, he tells the pawn shop guy that he's looking for this engagement ring that's gold. Um, And the guy is like, fuck off. He shoots him in the chest. But, you know, big mistake. Eric heals up immediately. Um, And he, like, drops down from the ceiling. I don't know why he has the mobility. I guess he can, he can, like, hook on to things like a crow. I don't know. They don't really address it. But his mobility is amazing. And he drops down from the ceiling. Um, and he asks about the engagement ring again, and he says a guy named Tintin brought it in a year ago, which is the guy in the gang who he had just uh, killed. And we flash to Tintin, and he's being gurneyed away with five knives sticking out of his chest. And the cop and the detective are sparring, because that's what they do. Um, the cop and the detective just constantly arguing in this movie for no good reason. Um, but we see that there is an emblem of a crow made in blood on the adjacent, like, fence. Like, a really elaborate, like, emblem. Not a lot, like, it's literally just an outline, but it's very, like, precise. So, he's back at the pawn shop. Eric is, like, sifting through all these rings, and he finds the one that he's looking for. Um, and meanwhile, the worker is, like, stuck to the desk with, like, a knife through his hand. Um... And he puts it on his pinky and he goes to the pawn shop guy and he's like, you're a piece of shit and you need to warn these other guys in the gang that death is coming for them. And then he loads a bunch more of the rings into the chamber of his shotgun and he dumps a bunch of gasoline on the ground. And then as he's walking out the door, he shoots at it and like all the rings like explode, but the, you know, then it causes an explosion and the pawn shop guy gets like blown through the back door into the alley and then, you know, Eric just walks away from the scene. So, and he's walking away with a guitar slung across his back. And then he, he, he crosses paths with the cop. And the cop is like, stop moving. And he's like, you know, fuck off. Um, and, you know, they have, you know, a creepy, intense conversation. And then he disappears mysteriously, blah, blah, blah. So back at, you know, the man, the long-haired, the Volturi guy, um, and his girlfriend, they're just sitting at a, like, a huge, like, dining table slash conference table with, like, a mountain of cocaine on a silver platter. And then they, like, burn something in a cauldron, which we later find out was, like, a severed eyeball. They, like, burn it in this little cauldron and then inhale it. Um, and then so Glasses comes in the room, bringing, uh, one of the other members, um, but we cut to Sarah and she's like, she nearly skateboards right in front of a cab in the middle of the street, but she's like grabbed out of the way by Eric and she's like, what are you, a clown? And he's like, sometimes. And then 
like she recognizes his voice and realizes it's Eric but when she like turns back to him he's gone and so back at the police station uh one of the cops gives uh the the cop the cop from the beginning uh the file on Eric and Shelley's murder um which includes a petition um which we kind of learned some backstory as to why Shelley and Eric were killed it's they weren't just killed because these people were satanists or whatever um they were killed because Shelley was like a Shelley Shelley was a like a tenants rights advocate i don't know if she was an attorney or just like a an advocate but she had like gotten a bunch of people in her building to sign a petition um a, like for something i don't know she was reading she was leading the tenants rights coalition and that's why they had to take her out um and like when the cop is like what is this um and you know the other cop explains it she's like she did it in that neighborhood so then we kind of get the idea that like this town is being run by a mob which we already kind of knew but like yeah um and so then the cop like doodles a clown face onto Eric's picture because he's trying to figure out if the person that he just saw is actually a ghost, um, which it sort of is. <clears throat> so we cut to Aunt Darla is in a hotel room with one of the guys and they're doing heroin and the crow is like sitting on the window spying on them. Um, and the guy starts like calling out for the bird um, and then... <laughs> Eric appears in the window with his guitar and the guy like points a gun at him and um, Eric just like pulls up a chair and places his hand like flat against the barrel and the guy shoots a hole right through his hand and watches him heal and um, then he like shoots him in the leg and then he drags him into the tub and turns the water on and he takes Darla and I think he's going to kill her but he's not. He like holds her face up to the mirror and he squeezes her arm and he like squeezes the heroin out of her arm and it like sobers her up instantly. Like he has powers. So she's like instantly sober and he's like, your daughter is on the street somewhere waiting for you. And she runs out crying down through the bar and the pawn shop guy is at the bar with like burns all over his body and he's talking to glasses and like after Darla runs through glasses guy like starts creeping up the stairs with a gun and um he goes into the room where he finds the guy who <laughs> Eric had just killed um and he has like 10 heroin needles sticking out of his chest and Eric is just like crouching in the window and then disappears and so we're, we're back at, like, the cop in his home, and he's wearing boxers and a white T-shirt, but he's still wearing his cop hat for some reason. And Eric uh, appears in the room, and he's like, freeze. And, you know, the cop is now bugging because he's like, I, you died. Like, I saw you get buried. And uh, Eric is like, you still have your hat on. Um, and he's like, touche. Um, so he goes in, like, gets a beer for him and opens it up for him. And Eric, is, and he asks him what, like, happened to them, him being, like, him and Shelly. And so he put, the guy, like, tries to tell him, but he's just, like, not buying it. So he puts his hand on the cop's head to see his memories. And suddenly, like, all these memories of Shelly in the hospital, like, flash to him. And he's like, I saw her through your eyes. You stayed with her the whole time because um, she was dying for like 30 hours. And he was like, oh, uh, well, yeah, I was hoping she'd wake up and give me something to work with. Like, oh, how kind and how endearing. Like, Eric was genuinely like, oh, thank you for staying with my loved one so that she didn't have to die alone. And the cop is like, well, I was just hoping I'd get a break in the case. Um, you know, cops. Anyway, he's saying that, like, at the time, none of the witnesses would talk to him because a lot of them had, like, been tenants who had signed that petition and they didn't want to become targets for this gang. And then so we're back at this, like, mysterious club. It's basically, like, there's, like, a concert hall and, like, a bar and then upstairs there's rooms. But, like, at the very top there's, you know, the man with the hair. <clears throat> Um, and so he's up there with the guy who worked at the pawn shop, um, and he's like, catch, and the guy catches what is a severed eyeball, 
um, and the woman is like, all the power in the world resides in the eye, blah, 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 and, you know, they smoke it, it gets you super high, I don't know. Um, and so then, like, guy with the hair, he goes and opens up his sword cabinet, and he says, the most important thing I learned from my sister, and then I didn't catch what he said after that, because I was too taken aback by him saying that he, that that was his sister, um, after we'd, like, already seen them make out, um, but I anyway, he points the sword at the pawn shop, shop guy and the pawn shop guy like tells him everything that happened. And even though he gave him like everything he wanted, he still just like sticks him right through the throat. And then like he's like coughing and choking. And so then he like shoots him twice because he just wasn't dying quick enough. And then we cut to and our man, Eric Draven, is playing an electric guitar on the roof in the dark as he does um so then he like hijacks this car by holding a gun to the head of one of the guys in the gang and then another guy in the gang is in a separate car and he like starts following them but then they drive past a cop and the cops start chasing them um and then like they finally like crash and but he so he <laughs> I don't know. Everything that happened here was such a blur. When action movies like start getting too busy and fast, I'm like, none of this actually really matters. And my brain kind of slows down a little bit. But eventually the car stops. He tapes this guy who's in the gang. He like he duct tapes him to the seat of the car. Um, and then he like he starts the engine. He puts his feet on the gas and he throws a bomb into his crotch. And then the car rides off and it explodes and it also rides off a dock. So he's just like dead, dead, dead. Um and then, like, he ignites the gasoline on the ground with his lighter, and then he creates another um, crow emblem with fire. Um, very elaborate. Um, so back at the police station, the cop is sparring with the detective, and the detective is like, you stole a case file, um, and I hate you, and you're suspended. And so, <laughs> yeah. And so back... Uh, we're back with Sarah and she is at the house where Eric and Shelly died and she finds this cat. She's like, Oh shit. I thought you were alive. Um, and she sees like smoke in the fireplace and like partially burned photos. She goes to the fireplace. She sees like there's smoke still in the fireplace and there's like partially burned photos of Eric and Shelly. And so she's like talking out loud cause she knows Eric is there, but she doesn't know where he is. And she's like, I knew it was you, even with the makeup. And then, like, he appears in the window, and they hug, and it's so sweet. Um, but then, like, we're back and, like, in, in the place with the man. And one of the gang members who was just, like, in the car chase is, like, frantically, like, trying to explain to this man what happened because he's freaking out because he knows he's next. And so Sarah and the cat are just hanging out at the hot dog stand when the cop shows up and sits next to her. Um, and she's like, can someone come back after they die? And he's like, are you talking about anyone specific? And they basically, you know, just talk about how they've both seen Eric, but they're not sure if it's really him or whatever. And then we cut to, and Eric is once again playing the guitar on the roof in the dark. And he then smashes his guitar into the amplifier and throws it off the roof. And then we cut to this, like, metal show. Um, and in the other room at that huge conference slash dining table, um, the Volturi at the head of the table, he's like, greed is over. Mayhem is in. Devil's Night isn't enough anymore. We need, like, more fire, more fun. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> um, and... I don't know. And so Eric or the crow like lands on the table and they're like, who let this fucking bird in? But quickly followed by Eric, he like jumps on the table and he points to the last gang member and he's like, I need him. But they like won't hand him over. And so everyone like raises their gun and shoots down him multiple times. And like he disappears. But then like from under the table, he shoots and then he emerges and he like draws two guns and he's like shooting everyone, kicking everyone's ass. There's money flying through the air. There's people crashing through windows 
And finally, it's just Eric and the last gang member, and he throws him out the window, and he falls on top of a cop car. And then the cops swarm into the room and start shooting at him, but he, like, gives chase on the rooftops, and a helicopter is, like, following with a following him with a spotlight. And eventually, he crashes to the ground, and the cop, who is in plain clothes because he's now been suspended, and in his own car, he gives him a ride um, for, like, a couple of blocks, and then he comes to a stop, and then Eric has, you know, just disappeared right out of the passenger seat. So, cut to, like, in a car driving over the bridge, um, the man glasses and the woman um she has like a crow feather that she's fiddling with and she's like the crow is his link to the mortal world if we kill the crow we can destroy eric um and then we see sari sarah (laughs) then we see sarah is at shelly's grave and eric comes to say goodbye and he gives Sarah this necklace that he made it was just basically like a piece of rope with Shelly's engagement ring on it and they hug and then like Shelly is walking home but she gets grabbed by glasses and dragged into the church and then the man and the woman are there and then Eric hears her struggling so he goes to find her and glasses pulls a sniper rifle on him and aims it right at the crow and wounds the crow which in turn wounds Eric um But, like, doesn't wound him, but I guess just, like, takes away his invincibility. I don't know. Um, And then the man, uh, the the man, the man, walks toward him with this sword across his back. And Eric is just like, give me the girl and I'll get out of here. Which I found weird. Like, why would you refer to your sister as the girl? Like, she's some just, like, damsel who you just met. Like, that's your sister. Not the girl. I don't know. That just rubbed me the wrong way. But anyway. Um... The man turns away and then he turns back and shoots him real quick. But the wound is like actually real this time. Um, But then the cop busts in and he starts shooting and he kills glasses. And the woman grabs the crow and like disappears. And the cop finds Eric and he's like, we got this. You go in front of me. You'll be like a human shield. And he's like, "Uh, it's not really going to work the way it was supposed to because I'm like mortal now. But he's like, we got to find Sarah. And so they're going up the bell tower. And then the cop gets shot by the woman. And then Eric goes up to the stair, up the stairs and sees her. And she's, like, holding a gun and the crow against her body. And she's, like, about to kill it. But the crow, like, goes insane and pecks her eyes out. And then she falls, like, all the way down the bell tower. And then on the roof of the church, in the rain, the man has Sarah. And when Eric approaches, um, he's like, you can have me. I'm done. Uh, but he just drops Sarah. And so she's just like holding onto the ledge while Eric fights with this guy. And like the guy has a sword. So Eric just tears the steeple off of the building and is fighting with that. He takes the man and he like holds his hands onto his face. And he's like 30 hours worth of pain. You deserve to feel this. Which I don't understand. So he's like imparting like the memory of like when Shelly was dying. But like Eric only has that memory because he got the memory from the cop who was just there watching it. But somehow like we get the impression that he is like imparting like the pain and suffering onto this guy, which doesn't make sense to me because it's like it can't just be like, oh, I'm imparting like the images of, you know, Shelly dying to you because obviously he wouldn't be affected by that because he was there when she was being raped and murdered. So. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But either way, he holds his hands to his head really tight and then he falls off the roof. And so Eric and Sarah are like walking safely down the steps and then they find the cop. And um, Eric is like dramatically like what you saved in here in his head saved me, uh, I guess. Um, And the cop gets like taken away on the gurney. And then we see Eric is like laying next to the grave like all week. But Shelly like as an angel like comes to him and kisses him and then like we see like the graves are all just magically covered and everything's back to what it was and Sarah comes to the headstone and a crow drops the engagement ring in her hand and then the crow just flies away into the sunset and Sarah like does her voiceover thing and says something about true love lasting forever which is a very convenient thing to say when both people die when they're still young and in love like obviously true love lasts forever if you know you both die at the height of your love but I digress then and that's it and a black screen comes up and it says for Brandon and Eliza which as I mentioned Brandon had just died and Eliza was his fiance 
who they were supposed to be married two weeks after he had died. So they dedicated the movie to them. I don't know if it would have meant much to them or anyone that they um, knew or loved. You know, it's not like this movie was particularly um, compelling, nor did it seem to be very high budget. I mean, like, the cityscapes looked like they were done in, like, a high school auditorium. Like, I wasn't... (sighs) I don't think this movie should have been released. So, you know, that's it. I've watched it, and I will never have to watch it again. Um, But, yeah, I guess if you, like, really grungy corny um 90s shit you might like this um but if you like horror at all I think you should watch definitely watch Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds it's beautiful in every way but yeah I (laughs) it was a lot of fun this week god getting your eyes plucked out has got to be like the worst way to go and so I'll be thinking about that a lot But until next week, I'm Alyssa Canova. This has been Freaks and Shrieks. Um, If you would like to, you know, rate, review, subscribe, it would mean so much to me. Of course, only if those reviews and ratings are good. (laughs) Um, I would really appreciate it. So this podcast can reach more people who might want to hear my voice for some reason. But I will quit rambling now and uh, goodbye.